Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Hi, what's going on? Uh, My name is Corey Ball, and I'm the lead pastor at Redemption Community Church in St. Louis, Missouri, specifically Kirkwood, which is a suburb of St. Louis just outside of the city. And uh, I've been friends with Josh for for some time now, I don't know, two years or so. And um, it's a pleasure to just chat with you guys today about God's grace and the unity of the church and to encourage you from abroad. And so I hope that you uh, take this as an encouragement, and, and I hope that throughout this message that you feel more connected to your church and that, that ultimately that you kind of discover why you should be connected to your church. I think a lot of times, um, you know, we have these moral obligations or, you know, these these reasons all of a sudden that like we should do something. Specifically, we should go to church. But here's the truth. Nobody needs another, obli- another obligatory commitment in their life. Um, you have a lot with your kids. You have a lot with work. Church should not be an obligatory commitment. Um, but there should be a greater reason as to why why you would be a part of a local church and specifically Redeeming Hope. And so today that's uh, that's my goal is, is to just chat about uh, why it's so important for us as Christians to be involved in a local church. Well, um, if you've uh, been around the world in the last 20 years or more, you've seen a lot of personality tests. And uh, personality tests are so interesting. Um, the, the, you know, there's the Winslow test, the, um, there's the Myers-Briggs test, there's the DISC profile test, there's the, uh, you know, all these different, I don't even know, you know what else there is out there. Um, the Enneagram, yeah, well, how, do I, how do I forget the Enneagram? Like, that's huge, right? Um, and those tests, they're going to tell you which number you are, if you're a three or an eight, they're going to tell you what color you are, if if you're blue or yellow, they're going to tell if you're tell you if you're a high D or a low C. They're going to tell you if you're an otter. Uh, they're going to tell you, you know, all these different things, right? ENTP or whatever you are. Um, but one of the things that that those tests kind of focus on is: Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Almost all of of those tests kind of go into that kind of stuff. Are you introverted or extroverted? Well, my 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 uh, family, my house, is a third introverted and two-thirds extroverted. Now, uh, we don't have any children, but we do have a dog. He'll lick your face off, okay? He's the extrovert, all right? I'm an extrovert, uh, and my wife, not so much. Um, Before the pandemic, when going to movies was like a big thing, she wanted to go see this movie, Just Mercy. And I was like, hey, babe, more power to you. Like, I'm exhausted. I got a lot going on. And she goes, I don't need you to go to the movie with me. I'm going to go by myself. So she went by herself. She took a photo of the empty theater and she sent it to me. And I'm sitting there in a meeting, actually, is what, it was, uh, uh, what I was doing. Because I started laughing with my friends. She sent this photo to me and literally said, dream come true. And there was nobody in the theater. <laughs> okay? Like, that was her dream come true, was when nobody shows up to the movie. That's how introverted she is. Well, it doesn't matter how introverted you are, extroverted you are, the truth that we know is this, that you were made for human connection. Uh, I just saw a headline the other day and it was talking about church attendance and how church attendance is declining in America. And, and, and it literally said, it was, it was on USA Today, I believe it was, and it said, um, uh, researchers say that this is not just a spiritual problem, but it is a public health crisis. Why? Because people find so much connection at their church, at their local church. And the truth is that when the attendance for a local church goes down, so does the health of the public. So it's a public health crisis. Well, uh, we, we know this, like we feel this, that we're made for human connection. But 
I want to share a story um, from a book that I read that, that, that kind of drives this home more than, than, than I've, I, I've known recently. Um, uh, there's a book by uh, Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. And in the book Outliers, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about uh, Rosetta Valfortor. And Rosetta, Rosetta Valfortor is a town that was over in Italy. And uh, it lies 100 miles southeast of Rome. A group of people from Rosetta, 11 Rosettans uh, to be exact, immigrated to America in 1882. They first slept on the tavern floor of Mulberry Street, or of this tavern on Mulberry Street in Manhattan. And uh, and then they ended up landing about 90 miles west of Bangor, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, the following year, 15 Rosettans left Italy for America. And soon, over the coming years, uh, the town of Rosetto Valfortor um, was overrun by Rosettans. Um, uh, well, rather, the, 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 the town of Rosetta Valfortor was emptied. Um, and, and, and they they came over here to America, and that portion of, of Pennsylvania was overrun. And, um, and so what's interesting, though, is decades later, in the, in, in the late 1950s, uh, there was a physician by the name of Dr. Wolf, and he made this crazy um, discovery about the Rosettans. He discovered that they were extremely healthy extremely healthy. Well, how healthy were they? Let me give you some statistics here. No one under 55 died of a heart attack, which was a complete statistical anomaly during those years. For men, there were 65. Uh, the death rate of heart disease was half of the rest of the population in the United States. Uh, the death rate of Rosettans for known medical causes was 35% lower um, than uh, the, the healthiest areas of America. It was very interesting. Um, uh, there was no suicide, no alcoholism, no drug addiction, and very little crime, all right? Uh, they didn't have anyone on welfare crazy. Um, and then they looked at peptic ulcers. And uh, this was a big, big issue at the time. It was very common, but they didn't have any peptic ulcers either. Uh, what they discovered about the Rosettans is that they were dying simply of old age. That's it. They were just dying of old age. Um, Rosetta was now labeled an outlier, which is the name of, of Malcolm Gladwell's 2008 book. So what led um, the Rosettans, uh, what, what, what led in their their health statistics? Like, like what, why were they so healthy? We have to ask that question because here's the truth. They cooked with lard instead of oil. Uh, they didn't keep their old diet of anchovies and tomatoes and fresh veggies. Instead, they ate things like salamis and sausage and eggs and lots of bread and ham and all these things. Um, sweets like biscottis and, and, and donuts were almost a daily thing that they ate as well. 41% uh, of their calories of their caloric intake was from fat, which by the way, now we're all on this keto thing and that's huge, right? But like the truth is like, if you're trying to do a balanced diet, if you're not trying to do just fats and proteins, but if you're trying to do a balanced diet, that's a really high percentage of, of your calories coming from fat. Uh, no yoga, no jogging, um, no real exercise ever. They didn't exercise and they smoked like chimneys, cigars, pipes all the time. They smoked all the time. They were obese. They smoked. They ate terribly. They didn't exercise. Okay. All these things are true. And so when they studied, uh, when they studied the surrounding towns around Rosetta in Pennsylvania, what they realized is that uh, it wasn't a regional thing. It was only the Rosettans that were so healthy. So Malcolm Gladwell, uh, he says this in his book when he's asking the question, why? Why were the Rosettans so healthy? Uh, Malcolm writes this, what Wolf, the doctor, what Wolf slowly realized was that the secret of Rosetta wasn't diet 
or exercise or genes or the region of Rosetto uh, was situated. It had to be with the Rosetto, the person, the Rosetto itself. As Brune and Wolf walked around the town, they began to realize that they looked at how the Rosettans visited each other, stopping to chat with each other in Italian on the street or cooking for each other in their backyards. They learned about the extended family clans that underlay the town's social structure. They saw how, they saw how many uh, homes had three generations living under one roof and how much respect grandparents commanded. They went to Mass at Our, Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church, and they saw the unifying and calming effect of the church. They counted 22 separate civic organizations in a town just under 2,000 people. <laughs> they picked up on, uh, on the particular egalitarian ethos of the town that discouraged the wealthy from flaunting their success and helped the unsuccessful obscure their failures. Simply put, uh, the Rosetto, the person of Rosetto, the Rosettin, was living longer because they found community. That was it. They found community. And it's no, uh, it's no secret that today we struggle with community, that we uh, all feel a level of loneliness. Um, but that wasn't true with the Rosettins. And so they lived decades longer than all of their contemporaries. We need human connection, but what does God say about our human connection? Uh, we know we need human connection, but what does God say about, about us? Is it something that should look like the Rosettans, or is it something that should look altogether different? Today we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and so you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you have a Bible with you. And, uh, and we're going to be looking at what Paul says about uh, the, the, the Corinth church and the believers in the Corinth church. And, and by the way, it's you as well, even though you're not part of the Corinth church, you are part of the church. And so he's secondarily talking to us. Uh, what does it mean for us to be a part of a church? Uh, what does it mean for us to be a part of the body of Christ? And so in, in, in essence, he's going to give us an anatomy lesson. I promise you this, uh, today's going to be less awkward than your fifth grade uh, anatomy class. And if you have younger kids, you don't have to send them out of the room. Okay, promise. All right. Um, so we're going to jump in here. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 12. Paul says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. See, Paul is saying here that when, when you are saved into Christ, when you decide to follow Jesus, you are, you are uh, saved into the body of Christ. You are made a member or a part of the body of Christ. You don't have an option to not be. Right, you don't have an option to not be in the same way that you know you uh, have that that really annoying uh, cousin or aunt or uncle or whatever, and and you can't choose your family uh, here on earth. You also can't choose your spiritual family. In effect, uh, you can't choose the physical family you're born into, but you also can't choose the spiritual family that you're reborn into, that you're baptized into. And so when we are reborn in Christ, when we become one with Christ, when we are baptized, uh, we are a part of a family that, like it or not, good or bad, right or wrong, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you're a part of them. And as much as you would say, hey, I don't want to be a part of that body, uh, you can't walk away spiritually. Uh, let's continue. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The body of Christ, the church, is special. It's not boring. It's not monotonous. It's not homogenous. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's bright. It's vibrant. It's very interesting, right? Uh, if you've ever been to a church potluck or a gathering or whatever, you have realized this, that the people in the church, very interesting. We're all very different. But what's beautiful about the church is though we are vibrant and unique and, 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 and different, uh, special in our own ways, right? Some of you are, are more special than others, but special in our own ways, um, we're also unified. We're also collectively unified on one mission. Now, here's the thing. Like Paul, he kind of gets uh, hyperbolic here. He starts to kind of make some, some, some jokes in a sense. And he's saying things like, hey, listen, if all of a sudden like this part of the body decided it didn't want to be a part of the body, the eye didn't want to be a, you know, an eye anymore. Instead, it wanted to be an ear. Does it cease being an eye? Does it cease being a part of the body? Well, no, of course not. See, our bodies are made up of many parts. We have fingers and livers, right? Or liver, one, right? Kidneys and liver. I think that's how it works. But we have fingers, right? Multiple. We have one liver, right? And if all of a sudden our fingers decided, hey, I, I don't want to be a finger anymore. I want to act as a liver. Does the finger stop being a finger? Do the fingers stop being fingers? No, they don't. They're still fingers. Um, and, and, and so our, our parts of our body, they can't get frustrated with one another. Instead, they work together in unity. And this is what Paul's saying, that as Christ followers, um, we, we don't get frustrated because we're not another part of the body. I, I think for some of you, you go, man, like, I, I, you know, I don't have that talent. For me, I just was watching a video before I filmed this. I was watching a video of a friend of mine who was singing. She's incredible. And she was singing this worship song at their church in Virginia. I was blown away by her talent. And I wish that I had that voice, not her voice, because she's an alto. She sounds like a girl, but you get what I'm saying. I wish I had her talent, but I don't. That's not what God created me for. He created me for this. I'm doing what I was created to do. And I can get so frustrated because I'm not that. I'm not, I'm not something else. But at the end of the day, as much as I get frustrated that I don't have that talent, it doesn't give me that talent. And it doesn't mean that this talent that I have stops. Because God created me for a specific thing. He created me for a specific thing. And, and if for some reason, uh, you know, a part of our body says, hey, you know what? Like, I'm a liver. And I don't want to be a liver. I want to be fingers. I just want to be fingers. Why am I a liver? Well, does that liver stop working? No, it, it doesn't. But, but here's the, the, the truth. The truth is that, that when, when the body doesn't work together, when it ceases to work together, when a part of the body stops working, the liver... What do we call that? We call it a disorder. It's no longer healthy. It's now a disorder. And so there's different parts of the body, but we're all unified under the work of the brain, right? The head, the head and the brain like gives us these different uh, commands in our body. We follow them. My, my brain tells my hand to move in my arms and my hands. They move in unison. This is what Paul is trying to get at. 
And as people who are pledging our lives to Jesus, then uh, we are unified in a healthy working body that moves underneath the command of the head of Jesus, underneath the brain of, of Christ. So we must live in a way that elevates our body, uh, the church body, into unity underneath Christ. The Rosettans did this. They lived in a community, a deep unified community together. And we should be unified and connected underneath the command of Christ, underneath His his head and his brain, like what he calls us to do, we do. And that's the body of Christ. That's the visual image that Paul's trying to give us. Well, Paul starts talking in extreme hyperbole here, and, and he starts saying that if the, if the parts were upset and frustrated with one another, you know, do they stop being those parts? Um, well, you know, let me ask you this. Um, if you say, hey, I don't want to be a human anymore, do you cease being human? Of course not. Um, and what about our parts of our body as well? Um, if a part of the body says, hey, I no longer want to be a part of this body, um, do they stop being a part of the body? Well, before we get there, um, do you recognize these eyes here? Uh, these set of eyes were an instant classic. In 1984, this photo was taken. And in June of 1985, it was on the front cover of the National Geographic magazine. The photographer, Steve McCurry, he, he took this photo and, and he, he never got the girl's name. Um, the, the photo had instant success, though, once it was released. And it, it has um, since been coined as the Afghan girl. Uh, it's also been known as the, the first world's. Uh, third World Mona Lisa, and it was voted uh, National Geographic's most recognizable photo of all time. Uh, those are some pretty good honors there. It took people 18 years to identify who this girl was, and there's even a documentary called The Search for the Afghan Girl that chronicles that, that, chronicles that search. I, I've seen it. It's incredible. So why is this photo so powerful? Well, most, most critics, they, they would say that uh, it's her eyes, very simply. The photo embodies a level of grit and exhaustion along with this glamour and elegance. Uh, where does that glamour and elegance come from, though? Her eyes. They're striking. Okay, with this girl's eyes in mind, with the Afghan girl's beautiful, striking green eyes in mind, uh, let's go back to what Paul is saying here. If a part of the body, if, if any part of the body decides, hey, I don't want to be a part of the body, what happens? Now, we're going to get a little morbid here, okay? Um, let's just say that uh, one of these beautiful green eyes were taken out of the body, okay? Surgically taken out and it's just laid on a table. What would happen to that eye? Well, within an hour or so, it would lose its color. It would uh, turn gray. Um, and it would be completely grayscaled out and become dull. The striking beauty that God gave her eyes would no longer be there. Over the next couple hours, it would start to soften. And over the next day or two, it would start to fall into itself as it would rot. Uh, within a week, flies and maggots and things would come and, and start to eat it. And that eye uh, would no longer be alive. It would completely be shriveled up and gone. Okay, now what would happen to her body? Well, um, the other eye that was not taken out would compensate. It would strengthen because it had to, because all of a sudden there's, there's a member of the body, a piece of the body that's missing. So because this piece, because this eye is gone, the rest of the body has to make up for the lack of that thing. And so this eye would get stronger 
uh, it would sharpen, right? The ears would, would sharpen. Everything would be working in overtime and working hard to make up for the loss of this eye. And the truth here that we see is that when a single part leaves the body, it affects the body forever. And the bottom line for today is this, that without you, the body is broken. Without the body, you are dead. Now, what I'm not saying is that you cease to be saved, that your salvation dies. That's not what I'm saying. So, so let's go ahead and take our broad brushes, right, that we like to paint everything with, and let's go ahead and check those at the door. We're smarter than that, okay? So let's take our, or let's take our nuanced and detailed brushes out, and let's, let's paint this a little more intricately. Uh, what happens is that when, when, when we separate from the church, uh, the church is never the same, right? The church is, is never the same. The, the body is broken. But, but the other truth is that when we separate from the church, we start to die. Our, our soul, in a way, starts to die. We no longer look and feel the same way that we do when we're with the church. Uh, tell me this. Do you know of any person who professes faith in Christ and they've removed themselves from the church for 10 plus years um, do you know anyone whose faith looks more vibrant than it did when they were in the church? Because I've been in the church most of my life, and I've been a pastor now for years, and I've never met anyone like that. In fact, the truth is, uh, when someone removes themselves from the church, their faith starts to shrivel. Uh, they start to become like the eye that was sitting on the table. The vibrancy of their faith starts to dull out, they become gray-scaled in their pursuit of Christ. And then all of a sudden, they start to become soft. And over time, they start to rot from the inside. The truth is that God created us to be unified in the body of Christ. He created us to be one with our brothers and sisters, unified, to work together in a body. And in that, we achieve a level of health and vibrancy. I'm going to read this again. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are in this together. Again, without you, the body is broken. Without the body, you are dead. We need every one of you to fulfill the uniqueness of the body of Christ. If the body of Christ is going to be vibrant and colorful and beautiful like she is called to be with bright eyes and strong muscles and strong legs and, and all these things, beautiful feet and hands, if we're going to be that with functioning livers and kidneys and blah, 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 then we need you. Uh, redeeming hope needs you. The church needs you. Um, I think sometimes... Churches want to say these things like because it's a sales pitch, like, ah, oh, we don't we don't need you. We're just glad you're here. No, that is baloney. <laughs> the church needs you. And when you self-select out of the church because it's October and there's a lot going on with the school stuff, and then it's November and you know Thanksgiving is coming up, and then it's December and we got holiday parties, and then it's January and the weather's bad. It's February and we got Super Bowl and Valentine's Day. It's March and the kids got all these spring things going on. It's April. April Fool's not going to church. It's May and there's graduation. It's June and the weather's nice. It's July. We got vacations. It's August. It's back to school. It's September. I might go for that month. <laughs> right? 
When you self-select out of the church, the body is broken. It doesn't operate the same without you. Just like when an eye is missing, the other eye has to work overtime to make up for the, the missing eye. The church is working overtime without you. But the worst part of it is you can feel it. Your faith is dying in some ways. Though you don't cease to be an eye, even though you were removed from the body, you've removed yourself from the body, from the attendance of the church, you feel the eyes start to rot. You feel your faith feel less and less vibrant, more grayscale than it's ever been. I had a friend in high school. His name is Scott, and uh, Scott's mom lost her leg to an infection. When Scott's mom lost her leg to an infection, uh, she was given a title. What title is that? Yeah, amputee. When we remove ourselves from the church, we give the church a title that she will have to live with. Amputee. The church isn't the same without you. My uh, friend Scott, he, he, would, uh, he would do half of his day at school in the morning, and then he would kind of do the rest of his day homeschooled at home so he could take care of his mom, Sherry. And uh, it was really funny. Uh, Scott would often, like, work with, you know, uh, uh, not AirPods because those weren't out yet, but, you know, earbuds in. And, um, and all of a sudden, like, he'd be sitting there typing and stuff, and he would get smoked with a leg. Yeah. Sherry would, she would take her leg off, okay, like her, her, her prosthetic, right? And she couldn't get his attention because he's got his, you know, headphones in. So she'd chuck it across the room, smack him in the back, you know, like, man, uh, my mom, my mom used a wooden spoon or whatever. She never smacked me with her leg. So anyway, um, so Scott would get, you know, smoked with, with Sherry's leg all the time. And, uh, but you know, really interesting thing that happened with Sherry, you know, and this is common with, with amputees and people who have lost limbs and fingers and stuff. There's something called ghost pain. And ghost pain, if you're not familiar, is when somebody lost a limb and they can still feel. They can still feel that something is there. Sometimes it'll hurt. Sometimes it'll throb. Sometimes it'll tickle or itch. But there's nothing there to tickle or itch. There's nothing there to throb or hurt. And so what is it? Well, it's the body remembering what once was there. And when you were in the body of Christ... Uh, no matter how broken the body was and how sick it might have been, uh, it was working to be one, unified, to work together. And you were a part of it. It was on its trajectory to be vibrant and beautiful and colorful. Then you walked away. And your faith turned gray. But ever since you've been gone, the church has felt the ghost pain. It's wondering... Where are you? When you're going to come back? When you're going to add value to the body of Christ? And here's the truth again. Without you, the body is broken, but without the body, you are dead. I want in 2021 and 2022 around the corner, I want the church to be more vibrant than it ever has been. I want you to be a part of Redeeming Hope. I want you to see change in your community. I want you to see people come to faith in Redeeming Hope and baptisms. Josh has told me about the people that he's been sharing the gospel with and the people that have said yes. 
And that's great for the pastor to do that. But man, I want you to do that because God's called you to do it as well. And, uh, and I just think that when we walk away from the church, the church becomes less vibrant and so do we. There's something to be gained. It's a public health crisis when we're not all together. And so I want to challenge you, step into redeeming hope. Step in and step up. If there's anything you can do to see the church flourish and grow underneath Josh's leadership, do it. If you've made a commitment to be there, be there and be all in. Because the church needs you. Because without you, the body is broken. But without the body, you're dead. And Father, I pray for this uh, church. God, I pray that, uh, that they would uh, step into vibrancy together, that they would be a vibrant and colorful church, not, not monotonous and homogenous. Again, nobody needs a, another obligatory commitment in their life. But God, I pray that they would work together to make it the best thing uh, about their week and about their life. God, I pray that you would restore vibrancy to their faith as they step back into church. And God, I pray that you would uh, eliminate that ghost pain as, as people step back into uh, the church. God, I pray the body of Christ would flourish and be healthy. And um, Lord, I pray that you would, you would do great things uh, through Redeeming Hope because people chose to step back in and step up at the church and, and to volunteer and to work hard to see your kingdom grow. Um, and, uh, and Lord, I, I just thank you so much for the, the privilege and pleasure uh, of, of knowing Josh and what a blessing he's been to me. God, I thank you for other pastors uh, that we know and uh, across the country that I'm just thinking of now that have poured into us. And um, Lord, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't imagine what my life and my leadership would be without the, the vibrancy and the color that Josh provides to me and without the vibrancy and color uh, that the other leaders in our lives provide to us. And so, Lord, I pray that collectively we would all be unified. We would work together for the same mission to see people who are spiritually dead come alive in you. And, uh, and Father, I pray that we would see a great harvest this year uh, because of that. And it's all these things that we ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.